there was not much contact, right? They're living separate lives. And then this American couple immigrated to Israel. And, you know, sometimes you need this outsider to look differently and maybe even naively <laughs> at things. And they just, you know, started talking to their neighbors. And this is how it began, this whole Good Neighbors project uh, in Jerusalem, in Abu Tor, that's the name of the neighborhood. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Yarden Kedar talks about an Arab-Jewish language cafe in Jerusalem and some ideas for bilingual, community-based language pedagogy. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. Today, we have Yarden Kedar with us in the studio. Dr. Kedar is an Israel Institute visiting faculty in the Department of Psychology at Cornell. He gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on bilingual community-based language pedagogy. You can watch his full talk on our YouTube channel, and we are excited to extend our conversation here today. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Yarden. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into the project that you presented to us, can you please share a little bit about your background and your own path with languages? Sure. So, I'm from Israel. Um, I was born and raised in Jerusalem. And coming from a family that uh, has a long uh, history of language uh, research and mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of languages, German, Polish, oh, wow. uh, Czech, Slovakian, many languages uh, in my family, Yiddish, of course. Of course, yeah. Um, and I think that my interest in language started in my BA studies, okay. um, looking at um, mostly phonology, um, but overall looking at uh, children's acquisition of language. Mm -hmm. And from there, I moved on to graduate uh, studies here at Cornell. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did my PhD here with uh, Professor Barbara Lust, and that was about the uh, role of functional categories in language acquisition Mm -hmm. and how very tiny young infants are already aware of these little words Hmm. in language. That's fascinating. In your talk, you introduced the Good Neighbors Project, an Arab-Jewish language cafe in Jerusalem. Tell us more about this project and how it came about. So this is a very unique project, uh, you know, taking into consideration the uh, political uh, conflict that has been going on for a hundred years now, or even more in, in Israel, Palestine. Um, and being from Jerusalem, uh, it really caught my eye or my mm. ear once I've heard about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have a personal interest here and, of course, a professional uh, language-based uh, interest. So being born and raised just uh, like a one kilometer from that neighborhood, mm. I was really surprised to hear about this project, and I got interested and went up there to see what's going on. 
So in your talk, you told us what's going on. And uh, you mentioned that Jews and Palestinians actively teach and learn Hebrew and Ar Arabic from each other um, at this language cafe. How has this bilingual pedagogy evolved? Okay, so first, this language cafe is part of a larger initiative, um, which is amazingly driven by the residents themselves, the neighborhood Arabs and Jews uh, in the neighborhood. Um, and they're doing all kinds of activities, including um, structured language classes. Mm -hmm. But the language cafe uh, started as a kind of a, a um, like after session mm -hmm. thing, after the formal classes of mm -hmm. language, either Arabic or Hebrew, they just sat together, had coffee or tea and started talking. But then it became its own thing uh, where there are two tutors um, or guides. We're not sure about their title. They're not <laughs> sure about their tar tar title either. Um, but anyway, um, we have Arabs and Jews uh, just being together and um, teaching each other uh, their language uh, informally, um, kind of inventing their own way of doing it. Mm -hmm. So what do the participants say about their language learning process and its outcomes? Um, what are what do they say about their motivations to learn the language of the other group, their attitudes towards the situation uh, and its potential outcomes, particularly sociocultural outcomes? Right. So this research is uh, basically looking at a few dimensions of uh, of the, the processes that are happening there. Uh, one is the linguistic um, aspect, mm -hmm. uh, but also we're very interested in, as you say, looking at their motivation and their attitudes. Do they change as they learn to meet and talk to their uh, neighbors? And they do. Um, hmm. they, it's a very positive process. Of course, not everyone there stays forever. You know, some people just come and go or stay for a few months and then leave. But many do stay for a while. It's been going on for three years now. Oh. And um, we see that the, they, they're all very appreciative of this uh, opportunity. Uh, and again, it's much more than just lang learning a language. It's the opportunity to of meeting the other side, mm -hmm. right? And we're talking about people who live you know, almost side side by side, but yeah. there's no contact really. Um, and we see that their attitudes are becoming more and more positive, I would say, as they, again, learn to meet the other people and their culture and their, maybe their uh, views. Yeah. So what happens during these sessions? Can you describe some of the typical interactions of, of what's going on when, you know, when these pairs communicate and, and interact with one another? Sure. So this is a, what we call a bottom-up process. Uh, so the pedagogy here is just, has been and still is invented and, you know, uh, refined all the time by the people themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, so, as I said before, there are two tutors or two, um, one is Arabic speaking and one is Hebrew speaking, uh, and they're kind of hosting or guiding the, the whole thing. But basically, it's a very equal 
uh, environment where all participants are having the same role. And they usually start with a general meeting, um, just gathering, uh, talking about a subject, some kind of a, a social subject or whatever or they want to talk about. And then they split into pairs, mm-hmm. um, Arab and Jewish uh, in each pair. Um, and in those pairs, they uh, have an equal time of being a student and a teacher. Mm-hmm. So each one teaches the other their language. And then at the, at the end, the whole group reconvenes and uh, kind of summarizes the meeting. What are the proficiency levels of these participants? Does it ever happen that somebody comes in with absolutely zero knowledge of the other language? Sure, yeah, many do. Okay. Um, I would say that it's more typical of the Jewish uh, participants. Uh, and f- this is because of the way of the, you know, the language status in Israel. Mm-hmm. Hebrew is the dominant uh, language. Sure. Uh, most people, if they are interested in other foreign languages, they would study English mm-hmm. or European uh, languages. So in the Jewish sector, in the Jewish society, uh, we have less and less people who know Arabic. Hmm. In the Arabic, in the Arab uh, society, it's different, of course, because they need Hebrew yeah. just to get around. Sure. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the demographics of these two groups. What are we looking at as far as you know, age, gender? Um, who who comes to these meetings? Okay, so great question. Um, usually, um, in the Arab Palestinian side, you will see um, mostly women and younger ones. I mm-hmm. would say around twenty to thirty or forty years of age. And in the Jewish side. Uh, these are usually older, like 50, 60, 70 year old uh, people. And here it's like pretty much equal men and women. Um, and you asked about motivations before. Uh, that's important because we're interested in, in this research mainly in the intrinsic motivations. Mm-hmm. Why do people want to learn uh, the other side's uh, language? But we must also be aware of some external motivation. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And this is really, this is re- very relevant, especially to the Palestinian Arab side, because Hebrew is so dominant uh, in Israel in general, and even in the occupied, occupied territories, uh, even in the Palestinian areas, it's becoming more and more dominant. Mm-hmm. It kind of invades the Arabic language, uh, as we can see in many places in the world. Uh, so for them, it's not just about, you know, pure interest. Mm-hmm. There's a, a real, real life reason to, to sure. know Hebrew. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. So this program really helps promote values of equity, equality, and mutual respect. Why is it particularly important in Jerusalem, if you think about the physical location here of this language cafe, But also maybe you can talk a little bit about not only for this particular project, but why are, are bottom-up projects like this important in general for the language learner and for the people who would participate in such a project? Right. So, again, Jerusalem, on one hand, it's not what you see on the news, hmm. right? People live 
their normal life. Most of the time, there are no explosions and no mm-hmm. fires and everything is pretty much okay. But on the other hand, there's a lot of tension, mm-hmm. right? It's always on the verge of exploding because, I don't know, someone said something mm-hmm. or someone did something. And once in a while, things get, do get violent. Um, that, that's for sure. Um, so having such a uh, unique uh, project going on, uh, this is what, I, at first when I heard about it, I was in kind of a disbelief, I would mm-hmm, say. Mm-hmm. Like, too good to be true. Yeah. But it is. It is. Uh, it is wonderful. Uh, it's, it's so important. And I think that the bottom-up issue is the most critical thing here. I mean, because this seems to be from... We interviewed not only the uh, tutors, but also the participants. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be, I would say, the major uh, glue, the things that mm-hmm. keeps them there and uh, that they're really appreciative of. Um, the idea that it was not forced upon them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're part of a group. Mm-hmm. They're all responsible. First, by just showing up. Sure. And then by actively teaching the other yeah. uh, the other participants yeah. so when you when you have this responsibility and kind of feeling of you know this belongs to me mm-hmm. I'm part of it mm-hmm. I'm running it uh, it makes a difference it's not like going to a uh, formal class sure yeah. about how many participants are there so so far um, I think that they've had around almost 200 uh, more oh, wow. than 150. Participants uh, from both nationalities, mm-hmm. um, but as I said before, some are like like the core group mm-hmm. who are sure. always sure, there, sure. Yeah. and some are you know uh, not always showing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But usually, in, in a given session, it's about twenty. Okay, twenty people. Mm-hmm. Nice. What can other language educators learn from this framework and about the importance of collaboration? So I think that um, uh, one, as I said, one secret or one advantage of that we found here is this uh, sense of belonging and sense of responsibility mm-hmm. um, and the active part of... Uh, not just passively learning a language, but also teaching your own mm-hmm. language. And when you do that, you really uh, it really boosts your uh, learning uh, of the foreign language. What advice would you give to an educator who is interested in setting up a community-based language project? Where can they start? What are some pearls of wisdom? You know, it's really interesting. I thought of a lot about this because what happened here was, again, you you must understand the uh, context. Sure. So this is a mixed neighborhood. We don't have many neighborhoods like this, unfortunately, in Jerusalem. Usually, you know, Jews live there, here and Arabs live there. Um, and But in that mixed neighborhood, we're in one particular street, one side is Jewish and the other is Palestinian Arab. There was not much contact, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're living separate lives. And then this American couple immigrated to Israel. And, you know, sometimes you need this outsider mm. to look mm-hmm. differently and maybe even naively <laughs> sure, sure. at mm. things. 
And they just, you know, started talking to their neighbors, including, of course, the Arab neighbors. And this is how it began, mm-hmm. this whole Good Neighbors project mm-hmm. uh, in Jerusalem, in Abu Tor, that's the name of the neighborhood. Um, so I would say that, you know, we see it in many uh, social psychology uh, experiments. Basically, when people are just together, things happen, mm-hmm. and usually for the better. So my advice for anyone, you know, even in a conflict-driven area, it's not impossible. Just talk to the people, mm-hmm. and, you know, people are just people. Mm-hmm. They're not, usually they're not, you know, political yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. agents yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. this is, I think, the big secret here. They just started mm-hmm. as neighbors. Uh, and get to be good friends. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. Can you talk a little bit more about the research that you were doing as part of this this project when you did the site visit? Right, so this is actually ongoing, um, and there are three main axes, I would say, to this research. One is the linguistic part, just to... We're recording uh, the sessions and mm-hmm. interviewing the people, and we want to understand... You know, one thing is to say, I'm feeling really good. I I, beca- uh, I became familiar with my neighbors, and mm-hmm. that's amazing. That's mm-hmm. great. But linguistically speaking, or mm-hmm. pedagogically speaking, how efficient is it? And sure. we're trying to to see what is what is really being learned there, yeah. um, and trying to compare it to more formal mm-hmm. uh, teaching uh, settings. So that's one one direction. And the other direction is looking at, the, it's more psychological, I would say, looking mm. at their motivations and their attitudes um, towards their neighbors, towards yeah. the conflicts in general. Yeah. Interesting. When do you think you will have preliminary results ready? I think that the uh, motivation and attitude uh, paper is uh, getting there. Okay. So hopefully <laughs> during this calendar year, we'll <laughs> be out. <laughs> And the linguistic part, as always, it takes yeah, it a takes bit longer. Help. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, where can our listeners find out more about everything you just talked about? Well, I would encourage people um, to look and even better show some support to these really uh, inspiring uh, people in Abu Tor. Um, then the project, the overall project's name is Good Neighbors. Um, you can find it on Facebook. You can find it, I think, in other uh, platforms online. But I think that Facebook is their uh, biggest, um, uh, you know, where things are advertised and things are happening. There are many other projects in this uh, neighborhood. Um, again, binational, Arab and Jewish um Palestinians and Israelis, whatever you want to call it. Uh, for example, uh, soccer teams, hmm. uh, united soccer teams with Arab oh, and wow. uh, Jewish kids, yeah, that's boys great. and girls. This hmm. is sponsored by the famous uh, Italian uh, club uh, AC Milan huh. uh, and many, many other beautiful initiatives, indoor, outdoor. So that's the first uh, place to look for it. And the Language Cafe, they have their own specific page where you can see, again, very nice illustrations of what they look like, how they 
teach each other the materials that they use. Uh, so it's basically all online. Just look for it. Awesome. And we'll make sure to put the link in the show right. notes too so people can see it right at the click of a button. <laughs> so, Yarden, before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share a word in a language you speak, you love, you are learning, or you want to learn that makes you laugh. What is that <laughs> word? Okay, I have to think a lot about this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, for some reason, I, re I remember this um, funny word. It's in Portuguese, which I don't speak. <laughs> and I'm not sure at all about my pronunciation. It's embaixada, uh, which is embassy, right? Oh. Uh, embassy in English, embajada in, in Spanish. And the story is that, like many Israelis, we have our uh, compulsory military service. After we do that, we're taking our time before going into college mm -hmm. because you just need to get some air. And many Israelis, like myself, go either to the Far East or to South America. Mm -hmm. So I went to South America and, you know, traveling in Argentina, Chile, learning Spanish in a, in a really good way. Uh, I got hold of Spanish and my friend too. And then we came to the Brazilian embassy <laughs> to get our visas to cross to Brazil. And we we're looking at the sign, you know, on the building. And, Whoa, what's this with all the X's and kind of... And then they pronounce it, which was even funnier. So we said <laughs> that uh, Portuguese or at least Brazilian Portuguese is like... Uh, and Yiddish speakers speaking Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking of language with us, Yardan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next week, we'll speak with Jarel Ezel and a team of student trainers from Cornell's Center for Cultural Humility. Until then. Auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.